Hi there, this is Velma Garns, also known as The Velminator, and you are listening to The Inspired Life with The Velminator. Today I'm excited to be talking to Mr. J. Hollingshed. Mr. J. Hollingshed is a cultivator of positive mentalities. By that, he means that he introduces people to their potential and helps them nurture a harmonious relationship between the two. He also helps decision makers become leaders in the areas of athletics, education, entertainment, occupation, and in their communities. Jay teaches and coaches life from the perspective of ownership versus tolerance. He is committed to his calling of adding value to individuals and organizations as a mental performance coach, public speaker, trainer, author, and a servant. He is Mr. Jay Hollingshed, and his motto is, through love, be a blessing. Let's get to our conversation with Mr. Jay. What would you define? Because I know, I know, motivational speaker is kind of like a. Um, I think it's a blanket term, yeah, but I don't think it yeah. fully encompasses what it is that you do and for what age group and that kind of a thing. Yeah, it does not. <laughs> it does not <laughs> encompass what I do. I mean, it's it helps because I do public speaking, but it doesn't get into or adequately define who I am and my purpose. Okay, so then uh, we need you to adequately define what it is that you do. Okay, I am a mental performance coach. And as a a mental performance coach, I work with athletes, I work with students, I work with employees, and also uh, performers, anybody that performs. Anything you do is a performance, and I help develop your mental game. When it comes to athletes, it's mostly sports psychology from that aspect. But when it comes to employees or students, the same lessons I teach athletes in focus, visualization, uh, determination, things like that, I teach those to students because those also work in the classroom when, they, when they're trying to focus on an exam or they're trying to pass a certification, things of that nature. So I build mental resilience when it comes to performers. Okay, so there's no particular age group that you're working with? Are you just, um, are, is there a particular age group that you prefer? Is there a particular age group that you're targeting? Or is it just you are going after the mental performance people? Anything that anyone needs to up their mental performance game, that's what your that's what your expertise is. That's what my expertise is. And it doesn't matter what age group because everybody performs. And I just cater my message to that particular age group. I mean, I've given lectures to college students and and currently right now I'm also a mental performance coach for a high school volleyball association. Okay. So you could, perf- so f- say for instance, if I came to you and I said, Jay, I'm really thinking about doing uh, stand up comedy to help me think on my feet to be more um, spontaneous and be, I guess, more 
comedic in my everyday life. Mm -hmm. If that's something that I feel like I needed help with, that would be something because it's a mental performance thing. That would be something that you'd be able to help me out with. It is. I can definitely help you with that. I don't help in the comedic aspect because (laughs) I mean, I'm, I'm not a comedian. I've been known to tell a joke or two, but I'm definitely not a comedian. However, <laughs> well, no, not certainly talking about, you know, trying to be funny aspect of it, but I'm saying, you know, the mental part of it, you'd be able to help me take care of. Definitely so. Definitely so. Because that's that's my realm. My realm is the mind and the mindset. And um, for you to be a comedian. And if you come to me with that request, I will simply do an assessment of exactly what it is um, that's hindering you or what is it that's keeping you from performing adequately or doing what it is that you need to do. And we go from there. So is there a particular age group that you enjoy working with the most? Wow. I would say, I would say the age group I enjoy working with the most is probably high schoolers. And that's only, I mean, I enjoy working with everybody, but I would say high schoolers because the earlier they master the process of being able to control and focus their own mind, the better their opportunities are going forward. They have more time. They have more more of a lifespan to actually implement what I teach. But I love seeing everybody's eyes light up when they finally say, oh, I got it. I did it. I did it. I applied it. It works. And then they apply it to different areas of their life. So I enjoy teaching everybody. But I guess the younger group, the younger generation would be what I get more joy out of. Okay, so I and I would have to totally agree with you. I don't really enjoy. I think the youngest I've really taught is probably third grade age. And that was a million years ago. Um, But I definitely have to say that's the high schoolers that I enjoy coaching the most or right after that, which is somewhere around college age, too. But I always wonder, um, even though you might be targeting a specific group, usually it's the group that you enjoy teaching the most that gives you the answer of the kind of target or the audience that you want to target. Um, And I'm going through this myself as trying to pinpoint who is it that I love training the most and I get the most joy out of teaching. And that would actually... Uh, I feel like the the information is sinking in um, because I, you know, I work with people too that helped me coach, coach me to the next level. Um, and I just find that that's so poignant and important to, to ask yourself, what is the group that I love teaching the most and what, do I, what gives me the biggest joy? So I, I mean, I can hear it in your voice too. <laughs> your joy that you feel out of the age, age that you teach. So now were you, um, did you go through any specific training to help you do what you're doing now? I did. I, did. I, did. I took, um, took sports psychology courses and I am um, working on a doctorate. Definitely. There's def- um, in fact, the doctorate is sport and performance psychology and courses that I take in that curriculum also drive me towards the the mindset piece, which is the psychology and um, the performance psychology. Okay. Because you took another course too, because um, you're, you're a certified public speaker. Yeah, I, I did. Um, and certified life coach. 
Like those are all credentials. Yeah, those can- are. Um, I did the John Maxwell course, John Maxwell training, which certified me as a public speaker, a trainer and a coach. Perfect. So and they they gave me a lot of insight and a lot of know how know how as far as going into the mind of a person or getting someone to open up and expose their mind to where I can guide them properly. Okay. And you're also a Huffington Post contributor? Yes. And that's actually a former Huffington Post contributor now because Huffington Post recently changed their their platform or their format and they no longer accept submissions from outside sources as bloggers. But that was um, that was an awesome experience to and kind of, I guess, confirmation that my writing is definitely up to par if it was accepted and published in the Huffington Post a couple of Absolutely. times. Absolutely. <laughs> I'd say that's a pretty good uh, way to know that your writing is up to par for sure. Yeah. yeah. OK, so the, now you're doing this full time, right? You're going around and you're speaking to all these because I've seen you. Um, go around to different high schoolers and stuff in different high schools locally yeah. because we live in the same area. Mm-hmm. So I just want you to talk a little bit about that and how you come into these speaking gigs. And I'd love for you to talk about your daughters too. Um, <laughs> and how that for, sort of helps, you know, uh, parlay into what it is that you're doing and if that teaches you anything. Okay. Okay. Um, and yes, I do. Um, I do public speaking and pub- the public speaking that I do is actually on the subjects that I focus on. I focus on seven subject areas. The first one is awareness and mindfulness. Second one is confidence and motivation. The third is focus and concentration. The fourth is goal setting. The fifth is imagery and visualization. The sixth area is managing stress. And the seventh area is positive and negative self-talk. And I go around and I speak on um, those subjects and relate those to the different groups that I'm speaking to, the different uh, age groups and the different schools that I'm speaking to. I'll get called to say, hey, can you come and speak to uh, my basketball team or can you come work with my basketball team in preseason? Or um, there's a a school that um a career development school here in the Columbus, Ohio area. I think it's the downtown uh, Columbus downtown school. And they recently had me out to speak uh, about confidence and motivation. And the I incorporated the imagery and visualization piece because they I want them to see themselves excelling in the careers that they aspire to be in. And I want them to have that confidence and motivation and how to dig and get that from the inside. So do you have anything, and I'm just asking, I'm asking for my own selfish reasons. Okay. <laughs> because I, uh, cause I'm going through the seven steps that you just named here. Mm-hmm. Um, the awareness, the confidence, the focus and concentration, goal setting, imagery, imagery, managing stress and positive and negative self-talk. Uh-huh. That for me, I'd almost like I would want to start with number seven first, because I think everything that you say to yourself is so paramount because you're the first person to hear it. And I struggle with this a lot. 
Right. And I know a lot of other people that, that do too. And it's almost like, I mean, there's days that I go through my house and I have to almost scream at the top of my lungs to myself because it's, you want to do so much to get rid of the negative, negative voices. Mm-hmm. Because you're always, it's always churning in your head. And so I'm always looking for ways to get outside of that voice and, ch- and try to make that cyclical. Positive and negative self-talk. You brought up a great point because the most important conversation that we will have or that we continuously have is the conversation with ourselves, And that's the most important because that is the most influential voice that we will hear. Even beyond the voice of our parents, because this voice constantly talks to us and it's basically our psyche that's talking to us. It can speak negative and it can speak positive. That's the one thing that a lot of people don't grasp because they always focus on what they automatically hear. But we have the ability to change that. Exactly. We can change the voice in our head. Because how do we learn everything else? We learn everything through repetition. Right. But see, I see the difficult part. And here's the part that I've been Mm -hmm. studying uh, recently is that if you're not changing what's going on subconsciously, then it's very difficult to make the change unless you go into the underlying subconscious. And the way to change the subconscious is, like you're saying, through repetition, is you have to constantly be repeating those words and affirmations to yourself. But if you lack the belief in whatever that subconscious is telling you and it's not erased, then you sort of keep moving in the direction that you really don't want to move into. So I'm always looking for ways to solve that problem, you know, as a barrier. And see, that's a thing that a wall that I run into a lot. A lot of people come to me with that same thing and you have to want it. And and it's like you can't make somebody want it for themselves. They would have to want to get better or they'd have to want to shut out that negative talk or, or just convert it into positive talk. And like you said, they'd have to want to do the um, the mantras, the affirmations and the declarations. And when everybody when we get to a point as people, we get to a point to where we're sick and tired of something. We make a change. I'm saying that you might want to have you want you may want that mm-hmm. for yourself, but if you don't have the tools in trying to help yourself along, then I mean it doesn't really matter if you want it. Like you can want it all you want, but if you don't have the proper tools to be able to do what it is you want to do, then that's going to make it difficult for you to try and make okay. the change that you're um, that you're seeking. I have a tip that I would give a lot of my um, a lot of my younger athletes that I work with. Um, just simple key reminders. Everybody has a cell phone and we can we can set that cell phone. Well, at least all of my younger athletes, they do. I know for sure they do because I make them use it. <laughs> and um, I'll have them set right. reminders every hour on the hour or whatever frequency they think they need. And a reminder or an alarm will go off. And when they get that reminder, they would say their affirmation 10 times. But when they say it, I have them not just audibly say it, but I have them close their eyes and see themselves achieving or doing whatever that is that they're saying. 
and and not just not just audibly saying it and visually uh, seeing it in their mind, but I want them to feel what it feels like to be doing that. I just recently talked to uh, or just taught a small workshop on focus because a lot of athletes didn't know. They've been always been told what is focus or better yet, they've been told by coaches, teachers or instructors. I need you to focus. Come on, focus, focus, focus. And then I turn around and ask them, how many of you, after being told that, you still didn't know what focus is or you've never been taught how to focus? Like, what does it mean? Yeah, right. I've never been taught so that, then I they taught don't know them, what that means. Um, the definition of focus. I taught them how to do it by giving them several small exercises to work their way, work their way up to having a stronger focus. And with them, they would plug into their phones an exercise, well, not an exercise, but a reminder to do the quick 15 second exercise that I asked them to do. And I only require that three times a day as a start, 45 seconds a day. And we right. have to start small with what we want to do, especially if we don't have, we, if we want it and we don't have the full determination and willpower to go through with it, we have to start small. And when we reach our small goals, it feels good. We start to develop motivation from that and develop a little bit of confidence. And then we can stretch that out from 15 seconds to 20 seconds to 30 seconds. And next thing you know, they're holding their focus for longer than a minute. Yeah. And it's little milestones that you sort yeah. of set for each person too. So let me just, let me do this. So all the seven steps that you named, like, is there something for each one of these steps that you can, like a little exercise, just like you explained just now, is there, is there something specific that you tell them to do for each one of your seven steps? Like for instance, for awareness, what do you tell them to do in order for them to be able to become better at practicing their awareness? Like name something that you would do, you would have them do as part of their exercise to let them know or to let them know that they are becoming more aware. Okay. And if there's guideposts and milestones so as for, for awareness, awareness like would what would have you have them do? A particular client just stop and turn off everything. I mean, anything that's digital, technology, electronic, or whatever, and first be aware of themselves because they're paying, they're paying attention to everything and everybody around them. And we do that a lot. We don't pay attention to who we are or we don't even listen to ourselves other than that negative voice that keeps popping in and out. But I have them listen to themselves and then listen to themselves breathe. And a lot of them start off like, you know, Coach Dave, that's kind of crazy. You know, I said, no, listen to yourself, breathe. And as they do that, they're actually tuning everything else out. And once they do that, they're focusing on themselves. And then I'll have them listen to one particular thing in their area, in their surroundings that they don't hear. Every day we're drowned or surrounded with sounds and um, things that we see all the time that we end up taking for granted. And we take them for granted so much that we don't pay attention to them anymore. 
So I have them dial back Mm -hmm. their focus and focus on one particular thing and just be aware of that and that that is going on. Sometimes I'll have them try to listen to their own heartbeat. And to do that, they would have to, you know, focus only on that and tune everything out. And a lot of my seven steps, they coincide because it'll take one step to actually do the other. Right. One lens to the next. That makes total sense. Another good exercise in that, especially with an awareness, is especially if you're out and about in everyday life, um, I was told to sit at a table. And if you're having a conversation with the person that's sitting at the table, you try to focus on another conversation, you know, at a different table. You know what I mean? Because it kind of helps you become aware of, well, one, for your, of course, you're not listening to the person that's sitting in front of you. But it's one of those things is trying to tune one thing out and, you know, zero in on something else and then bring yourself back to the conversation that's at your table. And that kind of teaches you just focus and control and that sort of uh, type of awareness of being where you are at that moment. Because a lot of people, a lot of us don't know how to be. And I think that we're also busy doing that. Right. We're not really focusing on just the being right. and how we're taking things in. So that's that. I think that's a really great example too. All right, let's move on to confidence. Like, what would you teach them? What exercise would you have them do as far confidence. as uh, I confidence? I would have them confidence. work on something that's um, kind of like setting small goals, and the excitement and the joy they get from having achieved something or having made an accomplishment or hit a milestone. I'll have them harness that. I will hold them there at that moment just for a few minutes and allow them to, and this goes back to awareness. I want them to be aware of what that feels like to be in that moment of achievement. What does that uh, sound like to you? What what are you feeling right now? Or, or what what does that kind of incorporate their five senses into the emotional aspect of the moment they are in? And once they gain, they realize, OK, this is what it feels like to be, you know, this is what confidence is. This is what it feels like after I reach this goal and I feel this good. Wow. You know my, okay, what are you doing? My chest is stuck out. I'm smiling. You know, I'm, I, I got my, my arm, the hair on my arms are standing up. You know, I'm feeling really, really great. I'm feeling invincible. And I have them capture that moment. That is confidence. And so once they sit there and enjoy that moment, they do that. I'll have them go to the very next phase, which is a longer goal, or they'll set a, um, have a target that's longer to hit or harder to reach, being that the first one was shorter. And as we go longer and longer and longer, achieving milestone after milestone or goal after goal, then their confidence gets even greater because they had to work harder to achieve the confidence. Not only that, but if you're tying that into uh, the actual awareness where you're having them stop uh, multiple times, three or four times during the day, that's mm-hmm. sort of retracing the, the neural pathways, make them stronger to come become more connected quicker to that aspect of themselves. And then hopefully those sort of string together 
So that is just one big long aspect of them being confident and feeling really being confident and feeling really good about themselves. So that's kind of like you know that's that's perfect to have them tie everything together. So it becomes one unit, one big unit, because you know the more you practice something, the more you you sort of deepen those neuropathic right. um, grooves inside your brain, and then makes it all connect even more so that it just becomes one big <laughs> confidence swoop or so we're hoping, but they have to be practicing because always the proof is in the pudding. And I, I'm, I'm only saying this because I know this. So let's, let's move on to see, we've got awareness, confidence, and let's move on to focus and concentration. I would imagine it would look a lot like the yes. awareness and confidence pieces too. So what would, what would be an exercise that you take them okay. through for focus um, and concentration? This one is easy. Cause I just did this last night. <laughs> Um, I had a team. Actually, this was for a an entire volleyball club. And I had three team members come up and I was telling them, explaining to the club that the mind can only focus on one thing at a time. And out of, out of the three people, I had one stay in the middle and I took one to the left. I told her something. I took one to the right and I told her something. I brought them back where all three were standing side by side. And the two that I told messages to, I had them tell the one person in the middle what I told them. And they had to say it at the same time and loud enough for the group to hear it. And they did. So it's like two people talking to you at one time, one in each ear. So when they stopped, I asked the um, the young lady in the middle, I said, what did the person on your left tell you? And then I asked the person, I said, what did the person on the right tell you? And of course, she couldn't remember. She got the messages mixed up. And that was my way of telling them that or way of showing them. We can only focus on one thing at a time. Right. Despite what people tell you about how wonderful yes, it is I to brought multitask. That up too. I mean, you, <laughs> I told them that to do something to the best of our abilities with all of our focus, we have to give it 100%. But whenever you multitask, you're splitting that 100% up in two ways, three different ways, as if you're doing two things or three different things, you are splitting it up. So you're not going to get 100% to each, each, each um, category, each thing that you're doing. Not only that, but it's a waste of time too, because you have to refocus yourself on what that one thing that you're supposed to be focusing on, because it takes you time to be able to shift between one subject and another subject of focus. So you have to be really mindful that you're actually, because it takes you at least another 15 minutes mm-hmm. to be able to really focus on that one thing that you have in front of you. Um, I'm sure some people can do it faster, highly doubtful, but that was one of the other things that I was studying too. Like you have to work on that one thing at a time yeah. to be able to get it done faster because you can't switch from one task to another because it's oh, just yeah. Definitely a bunch so. of time. Definitely so. So that's, that's how I... That's one of the exercises I give in the area of focus to get the girls or just to teach focus, period. Just to have to. I gave them the exercise of being able to show them they can't listen to two things at one time and they have to just channel their energies into that one specific area. Okay, so then moving on to goal setting, how do you I've heard a couple of different ways 
of goal setting. I believe it's different for everyone. There might be certain tools that you can take from different places, but I would love to hear your thoughts and what your exercises you would do for your athletes or your mental performance people. Hmm. Goal, uh, setting. Goal, setting. goal setting is a little different. Um, I kind of do that differently with each individual or each group, depending on um, the task or the goals that they're trying to reach. I kind of cater it to them specifically or make it goal, goal specific. And the formula that I would normally use or I start out with, if I have to give a baseline formula, it would be doing small tasks and completing those. And as I stated earlier, when it comes to building confidence, you enjoy um, the feeling of the confidence that comes behind completing that goal. And if you have a big goal, you want to break that down into small pieces. Say you have a goal that's going to take 12 months to complete. You set your goal at, at a year's time. I want to do X, Y, Z. So in that case, we're going to go backwards. We're going to say, okay, my six-month milestone would be here. This is what I would I would be here, and that would keep me on track for being X, Y, Z. If I have a six-month milestone, that means I also have to have a three-month milestone, which is my quarterly milestone. So by the time I go through January, February, or March, to, for me to stay on track for my annual goal, I'd have to complete whatever um, so many steps. And then once I'm done with March, April, May and June, I have to do another so many steps, which will bring me to my six month completion. Definitely. So definitely guide guide posts posts milestones. I too. use those a lot just for to break it down and make it simpler, because if they just focus on the one year task, They'll either try too hard and burn themselves out or they will try too little thinking, oh, I got a whole year to do this. And they'll make a habit out of doing not enough. But I kind of want to keep them at a gradual pace to where they can understand the concept of reaching their goal and also the pace of reaching their goal that they can a, a comfortable pace that they can work with and see the results. and know that they are on task or on track with what they want to do. You have to figure out what kind of learners yes. there are first, because I know yeah, I was going to say, because is there some sort of testing that you have them go through? Because there's some, like for me, I'm very kinesthetic. For some people, they're very auditory. For some people, they're very visual. For other people, like there's different ways of thinking. And even though someone may give me something that works really well for them, I have discovered in my old age that I really have to break it down in terms that I can mm -hmm. understand and that I can adhere to. And I just wonder if you just, if you, you know, categorize people as a specific type of learner. So that kind of helps you know what sort of tools to pull out of your Well, actually what them. I do, I can't say that I've actually taken any of my clients through a test to find out if they are either one of those three, but when I set the goals and I give them um, examples or when I kind of formulate uh, methods of getting their goal, I encompass all three of those, the auditory, the kinesthetic and the visual. And from what they take hold of or what they grasp first or what they kind of glean to the most 
it's going to be one of those three. And I, I pay attention and just kind of focus from there and say, okay, I need to add a little more of this because they are learning better from you know, their visual learners. You know, they are, they, they take hold to colors and graphics and pictures quicker. So let me incorporate colors, graphics, and pictures into uh, some of their milestones. Right. Because if you don't have the specific way that that person learns, like you, I mean, that could destroy all the other steps, especially confidence that you, because you, it's, it's like, there's a saying, it's like, you can't teach a fish to climb a tree or you can't use that modality for, if you know that water is going to be mm-hmm. their best modality to learn, then that's what you use. Uh, because otherwise you destroy the confidence. Yeah. Of all the other and so, I mean, I don't, like that. I said, I don't use a formulated test to see how they learn. I just kind of incorporated in but that may be something i may need to do it just depends on um i guess depends on the client or the person Uh, i may need to do that for you know to find out if they focus on one specific area yeah or just kind of you know because you just want to be in the place where you can help them the best for sure okay so let's move on to imagery and visual training I need to mo- definitely focus on this more, so I'm excited to hear about what you have to okay. say about this. Okay, imagery and visualization. <laughs> now, I teach that the body follows the mind. Our thoughts are always projected either in our voice and what we say or in what we do. Our bodies, um, you know, we're going to act out our thoughts. That's what we do. And even before I do... Um, I did this last night with the girls group as well. I had them sit down and took them through a a quick meditative session. And it was more of a visualization session to where they were visualize what they were saying. And I had them say, um, repeat, I am a team player. I give 100%. I go the extra mile. That was incorporated into they're relaxed and focused breathing. And once they were saying that to themselves in their mind, I had them visualize what that looks like. And then I started to incorporate the senses into that. I had them not just visualize what it looks like, but what does it feel like to go the extra mile? What are you doing? Is your heart beating fast? Are you getting to every ball? Are you or do you what does that sound like? Do you hear your teammates saying, hey, good job, good ball, good catch, good touch, good connection. And I want them to grasp that entire feeling or that entire. I want them to see themselves there and actually feel here and see what it is. Yeah, because that definitely locks okay. it in. I have to ask you a question, though. Like, do you ever have uh, students or anybody that you're working with come to be come to you and be like, "Man, yeah. this is all yeah. just a bunch yeah. of crap." <laughs> yeah, this is yeah. some hocus pocus I stuff, mean, man. I, this is come on, man. I, I, I've what had sessions where people? you know I've done this, and some, one of the biggest sessions I've had was like 120 players and some of them are like that and I, I knew the ones that were going to say that because they sit there with their eyes open and looking around at everybody else and and so I'm looking at them I'm like yeah. okay they come to me afterwards like eh, what is this what is this but they're the ones that, that are looking for instant results and I tell them 
that it is a process. You know, you didn't learn to tie your shoe in one day. You didn't learn to ride your bike in one day, but you took small incremental steps. And once, you know, once you got your balance from trying to ride that bike, then you you built up confidence and you were able to do that. But to, to actually learn to ride your bike, you had to see yourself doing that. At what point do you stop trying oh. to convince, though? That's what I wonder, because I know, you know, we're kind of in the same business as far as because me- everything's mental. I think everything is mental, even for myself. It's all mental. And um, at what point do you just because I believe if you argue your limitations, then you own them. Like there's nothing I'll be able to talk you out of because you're just not at that place where I know that you're even willing to try it. So what do you at what point do you not say throw up your hands, but you're like, okay, I'm done talking. That's where my own own personal personal application of awareness and mindfulness Uh comes in. And I realize that I'm only there to plant a seed. I'm not going to argue the point or whatever. But if they are still in front of me listening to me, they are still interested in what I have to say. (laughs) Or they are interested in results because they are still there. And if they are still there... I'm going to keep reiterating the same thing over and over. I'm going to go go with uh, repetition on them. And and whenever they say, I'm going to say right. the same thing. Uh, I'm going to give them the same message. And I'm going to give them the same message. And I'm going to give them the same message again. Because in conversation, right. conviction doesn't take place in conversation. Conviction takes place when you are alone and your psyche starts talking to you and repeating what you heard. So I'm just planting a seed so the psyche in their mind will just go back and say what I said. And they're going to think about it, even if they leave for a month, maybe two months and don't come back. They'll see a picture of me somewhere or somebody will say something about, you know. Yeah, it'll keep coming up. And and when they think about it, what's going to pop up in their head? The repetition, the repetitious words that I kept saying. And when they do that. It's fertilizing the seed that I planted in their head. So I don't I don't argue with them. I, I smile because I know that at some yeah. point in time it's going to kick in because it happened to me. That's how I that's how I learned. Yeah. I always say when I work harder on it, when I'm working hard, when it feels like I'm working harder on it than you are, then that's when I know to back off. I'm like, OK. I'm not going to do all the work for you because part of it being solidified or for you grasping mm-hmm. it is the fact that you have to do this on your own. Because a lot of times I find myself exhausted. And then when I feel that feeling, I have to start taking, you know, I have to start taking care of myself. I'm like, okay, apparently as much as I want this for this person, they're not going to be able to see what it is that they need until they're either a desperate enough mm-hmm. to be able to actually start listening and applying everything that you're telling them to do or you know b they're going to come back to you or they're 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 going to come back to you because right. they're in such a desperate situation that there's no place else for them to turn and they're <laughs> exactly. going to be like exactly exactly you, you planted this seed and they came back yeah, just <laughs> like i can't do this anymore and sometimes it takes that for people and then other times you're yeah. just you know there's some people that get it right away 
So I was just curious as to what you did for a, you know each yeah. different when type they start of person arguing that would like come that, to you. trying to go back and forth. That's when it kicks in with me, Jay. Just plant the seed. That's all. Just plant the seed. Yeah. And now this next one, managing stress, I think is different for everyone because I think stress is because nobody can avoid stress. And if you have a stress-free life, you better start praying <laughs> because I mean right, that right. that almost means and that nothing's happening. Um, but you know, everybody has stress, and I find that it is all about Ooh, perception and how they're dealing with that stress. So what do you? <laughs> what, um, do you what do you first teach of all, in your methodology? I get them to understand why I say it's managing stress and not overcoming stress because. It's always going to be there. We have to manage it. And I teach them that um, this, you just hit the word, the nail on the head with perception. And stress, I get them to understand that stress is energy that we can use. And it's coming to you in, as a negative, the way you're ma- managing it is a negative form. Stress is a lot of energy coming at you. Mm-hmm. And you haven't done anything with it. And energy flows. It doesn't just come and stop. It flows. It keeps going. And if it's coming to you, it's coming. Or there's a popular quote that says, things come to pass. They don't come to stay. They come to pass. And stress is one of those things that come to pass. So when a situation comes to you, I get them to understand that it's not happening to you. It's happening for you. What is the reason or the lesson you can pull from this? And what really? And that's how I did my stress. <laughs> exactly. Too. Like, exactly. What am I and I tell them once they get the lesson from it, things will get better. They can see it gives them clarity, but they have to do more than just get the lesson. They have to apply the lesson. And once they apply the lesson, then the stress will keep going past them. It will leave them and keep going. It flows. But if we hold on to what's flowing, we stop the flow. It's kind of like a faucet of water, a faucet of running water. And the water's running from the faucet straight down to the drain. No pipe in the middle. You can see the water. But if you mm-hmm. yourself are a cup, and you are in the flow. Okay. You stop the flow. But when that stops, when you stop the flow and only and all of it comes in on you, it starts to overflow. And that's too much. More than you can handle. That's like stress. It's more than you can handle. So the thing is, you get what you need. You get in, you, you get a cup of water. You get in the flow, you get what you need, you get full and you get out and the flow keeps going. But you have the lesson that you need. You have the water that you need. You've allowed the flow to continue. And at the same time, you have something to sustain you, a lesson from. That's a really good analogy. I've never heard it quite put that way. Thank you. I like that a lot. That's helpful. (laughs) All right. Last and not least. We're going to move on to positive yes. and negative self-talk. And my ears are really perky for this one. <laughs> I, 
don't know. You know, it's really funny because when people talk to me, they um, – they're like, oh my God, you're so confident. Oh. You're so this, you're so that. I'm like, wow. really? That's what you get? <laughs> you know, I just have to talk to myself, which is a really good feeling. And then really recently, one woman came up to me and she said, um, she asked me, she's like, how do you not get burnt out doing this? She's, she's like, you're so excited all the time. Every single, every single time I come to your class, you're so excited. And I'm like, really? <laughs> I guess it's working. <laughs> no, but I, I am really excited about what I do. But that is just, it's, it's positive reinforcement for myself mm-hmm. that I'm constantly talking to myself. But I just, I'm, I'm curious about what your um, exercises are that you teach people okay. um, to help them through that. One of too. the first things I tell them about positive and negative self-talk is that the talk is something that you can control. And it is a process. It's mm-hmm. not an instant. You can't just put it in a microwave, push one minute, and all of a sudden you're super positive. Doesn't work that way. No, 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 no. Doesn't work that right. way. It's no. a process and it's not a simple process. And I explained to them that what you put in is what you're going to get out. And I take a lemon, I use a lemon scenario. If I squeeze a lemon, am I going to get orange juice? They say, no. I said, why? Because all that's in there is lemon. So really great. If I I squeeze your mind or your mindset, what's going to come out? And they were like, all the tra- exactly. head trash that you've been telling yourself all this time. <laughs> oh, I know. And so or it's they, be something that's when the light bulb comes on. They're like, oh. And then I say, that's the process. The process is putting the good stuff in. And there's this, another scenario that I use. It's a popular phrase. We become who we surround ourselves with. Um, like if I want to be a a yoga teacher, a guru, I need to surround myself with yoga, uh, yogis, yoga teachers. And the more I absorb what they do, what they say, their lifestyle, their diet, how they live, their way of life, it's going to rub off on me. And it's actually going into my mind. As I said, the more I absorb what they do. And when I'm absorbing what they do, I am absorbing my surroundings. At the same time, that works mentally. What we surround our minds with is what's going to come out of our minds. A lot of us, I tell them, stop watching the news. Because that's 90% negative. 90% negative. (laughs) I don't think people realize how important that is. No, seriously, I hadn't realized how much because I'm a very um, I absorb things easily. So I have to be really careful in managing my energy. And one of the things that I had to stop doing and I noticed immediately and by accident, actually, is to stop watching television. And I, mm-hmm. I started by not watching the news anymore. And then then my television broke down. And then I went to go see what the cost was for flat screens. We were like, ah, we ain't right. get no television. <laughs> it's not right now. But they've come down. But I, I just having not having that energy 
around me and in the house, we were like, I don't think we need televisions. Like we find out everything we need because everything is accessible, of course, on the internet. But that had really lifted so much off of my shoulders and had freed up a lot of my energy. And I hadn't realized how much it was affecting me until I had to give it up. You said something that was key. You said you get everything you need. In other words, you reduce the negative and you're getting the positive. So I tell them, don't watch the news. And a lot of people fall asleep with the TV on. And when they do that... Their subconscious mind, mm. the subconscious mind does not sleep. It constantly yeah. takes in information and yeah. it's processing. It's taking in information and processing. So all the drama that we watch on TV, if you go to sleep watching um, um, the soap opera channel, you're getting all the drama and the nonsense that's going on in your head. Mm. You're taking in all those negative situations and that's all your mind knows. So if I squeeze mm. your mind, so true. Uh-huh. And let me just say this before, because while we're on this subject, I have discovered that there are, um, oh gosh, they have them on YouTube where it's like subliminal messaging as far as all the things that you want to be working on. So it could be anything about abundance or gratitude or, but it's like this music paired with a subliminal message, subliminal subliminal message in the background that talks about, or there's a soft voice that just keeps yes, saying all these it. positive affirmations. Now, I've trained myself to sort yeah, of fall asleep definitely. to that now. I, and it's something I want to mention about that, but well, a method that I use for myself. But real quick about the um, surrounding your mind, I tell them stop watching the news and um, stop going to sleep watching TV. Um, wow, I lost that other thought real quick. But that's okay. That's okay. What you mentioned Sorry, is on YouTube. You. I use a lot. Um there's something called sophagio tones or sophagio tones and or binaural beats. And what these are, are frequencies, frequencies of sound. And they're, the brain responds different to different sound frequencies. Just like there's a dog whistle. You can blow this dog whistle. Nobody, no human will hear it but a dog and that dog will react to it. Well, there are certain sounds and certain tones that trigger our minds to uh, be positive or that will trigger us to work towards um, transformation, becoming who we want to be. And I actually listen to those a lot. Um, I I, I meditate to them. And like you said, I go to sleep to those. Well, I just, my husband had yeah. mentioned something because, you know, I'm always on my laptop and, um, and sometimes just to have company, like I'll have something really mangy in the background and I don't know why I love this, but okay. I don't know if you watch the forensic files because I have Netflix. So I'll watch that because I love murder mysteries and I think truth is stranger than fiction, even though there's some really good writers that I also enjoy too. But, you know, my husband's always like, man, is there something they need to know about you because you're always watching these shows. I was like, but don't you think it's so interesting? Like, I don't get freaked out very easily. And um, so there's just something, I'm just always very curious about people and the things people do. And so some of these things are so strange that I'm saying to myself, why don't you just divorce your wife? Like, why would you 
plan this elaborate scheme because you know the first thing you go that people are going to mm-hmm. know on a scene is they're going to look at the spouse. So what would make you want to do something like this? What would make you <laughs> first want to marry a person and then want to kill them? <sighs> what I mean is like, what is wrong with you that you, you know, so that my mind goes off into that kind of tangent. So my husband's always like, is there something you want me to know? But I'm like, no, I just think people are so interesting and in di- different types of people. I'm just always curious you know, about the human element and, you know, how can we make ourselves better? And why does this person go this direction? Why? Because some people's stress is a walk in the park for others. And so that's why I'm saying, you know, management of the stress is so poignant and how you're viewing your stress because, and, and that's why I say everything is mental only because I've experienced that myself where I, you know, a year ago, you will probably been like, who are you? Because I'm so different than how I am now. And it just takes all of that to know, I, you know, everything is mental. Like every single thing has been a mental barrier for me to get to the other side of, you know, becoming closer to who I truly want to be. So I was really excited (laughs) to talk with you today. (laughs) I I just want to ask you one more question is, is there any part of the seven step process that you incorporate that involves hmm. any type of journaling um, whatsoever? Nothing that I would say requires journaling except your goal setting, because you are um, you lo- you're looking at milestones and you're tracking your records or you're tracking your your pace. You're tracking how far you've come and whether you've reached the milestone And if you haven't reached it, you can go back and look at it and say, "Okay, wow. okay, I see where I slipped or I messed up. I need to do this. So goal setting. So it's not it's not like a recommended part of your it's not a recommended part of my process. Um, However, I've been contemplating expanding it further than goal setting because journaling actually gives you, like I said, a record to look back on to see how far you've come of your progress and the things is really not a part of my process only in the goal setting because when I do my um when I do like a a, a seven step workshop I'll incorporate all of these and the workshop the full workshop series it, it takes seven weeks it's one each week and we we do the homework and we are um, you get a manual, you get a workbook, you're doing your homework and you are going through applying. So you are actually not really journaling, but you're going, you're doing the workbook exercises. So that's kind of the journaling aspect it would be. Now, once they're done with my process, okay. you know, journaling will be good. It will definitely be good. Yeah, I just asked that question because journaling is such a prominent part of my life. And I, you know, I've been journaling. Oh, my God. I, I mean, I'm sitting here looking at all the books that I've filled up just with alone ever since probably third grade, maybe even younger than that. I just started writing and it's just so helpful. But I don't but I don't know if that's more because I because of the type of learner that I am, if I just might find that more helpful than others. So I just wanted to know, you know, if that's something that you would incorporate within your seven steps. But I just want to switch gears here for a second and talk about um, just questions that maybe has something to do with the training that you do, but it's more of a deeper thought kind of question. So kind of related to what you do, but it it is, but it isn't. Hmm. It's just about how you've come to where you are now. 
So I want to know, when did you first know that you wanted to become a mental performance coach? And what is it that you did before okay. this, before you became hmm. a mental performance coach? I actually, honestly, I didn't know I wanted to be a mental performance coach. It's kind of, it kind of grew organically, or as I would say, the profession chose me. And um, before <laughs> being a mental performance coach, I actually lived in Memphis, Tennessee as a firefighter. And um, I was a yeah. firefighter, but I also owned and operated uh, an upscale barbershop. And within both of those entities, I found a way to help people. That was the common denominator for me through anything I ever did career-wise in my life was helping people. And as a barber, I chose to do barbering or chose to have a barbershop because I can speak into the lives of young men. It was kind of like a rites of passage, just the way I saw it. And young men coming into an environment where a lot of older men are, they're walking into a room full of wisdom. Yes. Oh, yeah, definitely in yes. black culture. So barbershops I found that are a to huge be deal. Huge. And um, I wanted to pour into uh, young men, especially just to get their minds right and have them thinking in the direction that they should be for their future. And um, I even did that on the fire department. I mean, you know, we would go to different schools or whatever. And I was doing that, you know, and as a firefighter kind of guiding people you know in the direction that they want to be in and we moved to columbus ohio my wife had she received a tremendous job offer up here and it was an offer we couldn't refuse it turned me into a stay-at-home dad so i took my passion of helping and pouring into people i took that and started marketing myself as a public speaker and that was going okay for me. Um, fast forward to the transition. The move was kind of rough. And honestly, just in all transparency, wife and I hit a rough patch. And I had to go through a personal development process in order to um, for us to be better as a couple. And when I went through that personal development process, I was like, okay, wait a minute. This is a lot of what I speak about and I can incorporate this into my speaking because having gone through it, there's an emotional aspect that I can add to this to where it will actually go from spirit to spirit when I'm talking to people. And one thing led to another here in the Columbus, Ohio area, tons of sports, tons of sports, youth sports, whatever. And everybody was saying, can you come speak to my youth group? Can you come speak to my sports group? Can you come speak to my students? And things started going from personal development to performance. And I said, well, it's all related to the mind. It's mindset. It's mental. And I labeled myself as a mental performance coach, not realizing that that is an actual title and you can get a degree in that. So, I mean, yeah. right. And I, I, and I say, this is me. Back. This is it. I never look back. And so... I started taking courses on it and here I am and, you know, trying to pursue this doctorate in sport and performance psychology. And that's how I got to be where I am today. And I'm loving every minute of it. 
Okay. So would you be willing to share something about yourself or about your journey um, or about who you are today I that will. you've never shared I will. before? And I actually, um, hmm, there's a men- some mental things that I went through long before, um, even as a child. I was that one child that got picked on. Um, I was that one kid that everybody looked at and they were like, what is wrong with him? I had, um, I didn't know that I had ADHD and it was to the point to where um, there were no fidget spinners back in the late seventies or early eighties. And so I would just fidget with the strands of my hair, not knowing that I was pulling them out one strand at a time, creating small bald spots all over my head. And I would, I was that kid that would, be blinking my mm. eyes real fast and snapping my fingers and making popping noises or um, audible noises. And people would look at me strange. Um, there were there were things I would do. It would be embarrassing um, to, to my brother, my family. With the bald spots, my dad would get an eyeliner pen or eyeliner pencil and try to color it in. And if I go to church and it would look good from a distance, but... Wow. You know, when the sun hits it, it's a greasy pen. It's going to shine. So I had small black shiny spots in my head. <laughs> and were, those were things I had to deal with as a child. And um, it, it, long story short, I go through high school, go through um, all of that area and having difficulties in school because of um, my mental condition. And Right. Here I am just recently within the past six months, I would say within the past four months, I um, after not doing so well in trying to get my doctorate, I went and got diagnosed. Well, I went to a clinical neuropsychologist and went under a seven hour exam, mental exam. And turns out I have ADHD combined type. I'm still trying to figure out what that part is. And I have a reading disorder. (laughs) You don't strike me as this kind of person at all. As I, you know, I just, you know, going out to lunch with you and I would have never gotten that from you because you don't seem fidgety. Like you don't seem like any of that. So how did you, how did you change that? For Not yourself? wanting to like, embarrass my family. That change? I, I had to find substitutes. I mean, I still do little quirky things, but I'm not audible with it. Um, you don't see me do it. And I, I, I've never been able to stop. Because those are comfort mechanisms. When I start to get in a certain situation or start to feel a certain way. And they, um, like I said, those are my comfort mechanisms. I just had to make that adjustment with those. And people would never realize the journey that I've been on because they haven't been on the inside. Um, and so right. now that I know what it is, and I, it's funny that I learn about that I have that disorder, ADHD, which is you know, a lack of focus, but here I am teaching people to focus. Talk about an oxymoron. No, well, no, that's and, like, that's but, like, and I was upset experience. because that's what, that is. what I was teaching people was working on them, but it didn't work on me. 
And and it that that hurt me so bad because I'm so passionate about getting people to understand how to take control of their minds and and formulate their lives and just go for it, you know, and just be super productive. But it didn't work on me. So that's what that's one of the mm. number of factors that drove me to go to a clinical neuropsychologist and figure out what is going on, what is wrong, what's the missing link here. It would take me two hours to read a one hour assignment because I had to go back and reread it again. I had to have a thesaurus with me all the time to find out what this word is, use that word in a sentence, and then go back and reread. But yeah, once you get it, you got it though. Because I have have some of those traits Mm -hmm. as well. Certainly not to that severity. Uh, I think our path is sort of different for everyone. We just take out of it what we can. And then if we can, we can turn it around. What, do you, what yes, does it make your, it mess, does, your message? It does. It does. And <laughs> I'm so glad you asked me this because I decided last night to share this. And even on my website, I share a short snippet of the story. But I'm going to formulate this into one of my public speeches. When I go out in public and speak, I can teach how to overcome these things and um and I'm actually weaning myself off of the ADHD medication, successfully doing that. So, and I, I want to wow. speak and talk on that and teach people how to do that. That is so admirable. <laughs> All right. So I can't let you go without mentioning oh. your book, your best-selling book. I want you to talk about how you came upon the idea to write a book, what the subject is of that book. And okay. um, and how it's a bestseller. Um, it's, the book is called 20 Beautiful Men. And I am a co-author in the book. And actually, I have a chapter in the book which makes me a co-author. And it's there are 19 other co-authors called 20 Beautiful Men. And we share our stories of um, our ups or our downs and our, our ups and downs, the ins and outs of things that made us who we are as successful men today, the things in our journey that triggered us or those things that brought us to our breaking point. And we talk about our breaking point and how we came out of it and moved on to be who we are today. It's been called the dark night of the soul, you know, the aspect that we go through our darkest nights and we come out emerging as you know, a a phoenix rising out of the ashes, practically. And I was Mm -hmm. approached to be a possible co-author because of a lot of the positive content that I would keep putting out on social media all the time. I would be putting out positive content and content on the subjects that I speak on. And also, I would just formulate quotes and content based on the story I just told you. And it caught the eye and the ear of a publisher. And the book is, um, like I said, entitled 20 Beautiful Men. It's 20 inspiring stories that will ignite your passion. It will inspire your soul and um, point you in the direction of your divine purpose. So it became, the book came out Maybe probably close to two years ago. Okay, gosh, it seems like more recent than uh, that. Yeah, you've that's been doing really good job pumping it too. 
<laughs> because because I'm, I'm I'm still you know pushing trying to sell the book, and I've practically sold out of all the copies that I have. I got to order some more, but um, yeah, yeah, it it ended up being well, um, a, a bestseller, an Amazon bestseller, and um. If you would like the book, you can definitely go to my website. I will. Oh, yeah, definitely. Tell us how we can reach Jay if we wanted to okay. use utilize any of your um, services. The first thing you can do to hit me on all levels, hashtag J-A-Y-H-O-L-L-I-N-G-S-H-E-D, hashtag Jay Hollingshed, and that will send you in the directions of everything that I do. Um, my website, jhollingshed.com. I'll spell that for you again. J-A-Y-H-O-L-L-I-N-G-S-H-E-D.com. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Feel free to um, hit me up. I will respond <laughs> in the whole nine. Thank you for your Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This has been a very poignant interview. I know I was looking forward to it for sure. (laughs) And we'll definitely stay in touch. So um, I'm going to go ahead and end this interview in a very um, awkward way. Hey there, this is Velma Garns, and you have been listening to The Inspired Life with The Velminator. Thank you so much for listening. I really do appreciate you. Please check out the Keep Going Project. It's a coaching program where I help you push past your quitting habits to achieve your big goals. As a personal trainer for over 32 years, a group fitness instructor for a combined 36 years and counting... And as an exercise physiologist, I have helped thousands achieve their goals permanently. If you're interested, please go to www.velminator.com. That is spelled V-E-L-M-A-N-A-T-O-R.com and look for the Keep Going Project. I'll talk to you again real soon.